we find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance will ever get to be a completely red Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. But more uncertain now. And listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce is crazy. She tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In five, four, That's why you need three, to take a meeting two. with Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast on billionaires. Thank you for joining us on our part two of our look at Asiwaju Bolane Ahmed Adekunle Tinabu. For this profile, I am joined by my Picasso-loving Akatas. Sean P. McCarthy. Stu Jeffers. Andy Palmer. And before we begin our episode, we want to give a shout out to Breakaway PCT16 for their review of our show and recommending the Gupta family of South Africa. We will cover them in 2021, most likely. And just to let our audience know, if you give us a five-star review, we'll, we'll cover whoever you recommend on our show. Mm-hmm. But recommend? On suggest? iTunes or, uh, I don't know, So give us a five-star review somewhere. Uh <laughs> Yeah, if you write it on a piece of paper and just leave it in a mail bin, we'll, we'll get it. Don't worry. You yeah. don't even have to write an address <laughs> on it. But but yes, yeah. leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll cover a billionaire that you recommend. And uh, if you leave us a four-star review, we're not doing shit. Okay? No, five and up. Not at all. <laughs> and the people that wrote Yogi's Lame on your exit survey in Patreon, if I find you, I'm beating the shit out of you. Yeah. Yeah, we have your payment information. <laughs> you, you fucked up, buddy. Uh, I see the comments you're leaving, and they're not hurting my feelings. But I think about beating you up at night. All right. Um, I've since made it a point not to look at anybody's opinion about the podcast, especially exit surveys. That <laughs> <laughs> is asking for trouble. Got to look at look. You got to look at them sometimes, though, because you want to know what are y'all saying when y'all leave and. And they hurt my feelings every now and then. Um, but to catch everyone up from part one, we talked about Bola's connection to a uh, matriarchal slave lord uh, from the 1800s. We we covered his connection to heroin dealing in Chicago, as well as his upbringing and many other many other finer details about Bola Tinabu's life. Yeah, and then we uh, haven't even keep- gotten to why he's a bad billionaire yet. <laughs> Uh, to give you context uh, at everything he ends up owning after he becomes a governor in 99, we're going to be covering his time before then, just to catch you guys up on what he acquires during his time in politics in Nigeria. He owns the Oriental Hotel, Faloma Shopping Complex, the First Nation Airline, the Lecky Concession Company, which owns the Lecky Tollgates that we're going to be talking about later on in this episode, the Apapa Amusement Park, the Meiguan Land Project, the Nation uh, Newspaper, the Renaissance Hotel, Tejuso Market uh, with the joint ownership, the Akeja Shopping Mall, TV Continental, the converted Lagos Polyland for TVC, the network. He owned the NNPC Office Building in Lagos, the Radio Continental, owned School of Nursing Building in Lagos, and he was the tax collector of Lagos State, Alpha Beta. His wife is a member of the National Assembly. The son-in-law is a member of the National Assembly. The daughter is the President General of Market Woman Association Lagos, 
and he had four billion naira government finance property for self at queen's drive lego so we're going to cover all this and more on this episode wanted to give you a look at everything this man stole essentially during his time as a governor I like that for 90% of our U.S. listeners, that list of uh, names and properties that Yogi just gave means absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I just have no frame of reference for any of the the toll booth, the mall, the luxury, just total blank in my mind right now. But I'm sure a small group of our listeners know exactly what Yogi's talking about. (laughs) Sean, I'm sure some of them were going like, oh, this this motherfucker owns the uh, Papa Shopping Center. It's an amusement park. <laughs> Listen, if you don't like it, come out. Uh, I don't know if y'all heard. I put Nigerian slang in our intro as well. I mm. said that uh, you guys were a whole bunch of booty-loving white men. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> um. So before we begin, uh, before we continue on the... Before we continue on the bio and history of Bola Ahmed Tinabu, I wanted to cover his family real quick because uh, I, he, I he learned that his wife is Oloremi Tinabu, and with her from the book that I read, because uh, I can read, he had three kids, Aluase uh, Tinabu, who is the chief executive officer, uh, chairman at Lotsad Promo, Promo Media, and Fol, Folche Leo, boy, one sec. Fulshe Tinabu, the Leoja General of Nigeria, and their daughter, Abibatu, Bola Tinabu's daughter, would be installed as the Leoja of Lagos State recently. Um, but from my research outside the book, there were three other kids that aren't mentioned in it. Uh, Zainab Tinabu, Habibat Tinabu, and Ole, Olayinka Tinabu. I don't know why they're not mentioned. But then there's another kid that I found as well, Habibat? which is... Yep, it's H A B I B A T. I'm. I mean, I don't know if it's pronounced Habibat, but that's that's how I'm saying it. Um, he also had another child named Jide, who died of a heart attack in London in 2017. Now, in looking at his, you know, there was a funeral in Bolo. It was very sad. But then I tried to find, you know, like this this Jide's mother, and it, it's not the person listed as wife Olaremi Tinabu. And so I looked into it further. And apparently, Jide's mother lived at the Abraham Adesanya estate in a bungalow with a high fence and black gate towards the end of the road. Uh, this is from JustLover.com that showed the property of Bola. I I don't know exactly what's going on, but I think that Bola had a, a lady on the side that he had a child with who also then would mysteriously die two years later. In 2017, his son dies of a heart attack and then that that's G-Day's mom also dies. So mm. I don't know exactly what's going on, but baby mamas are just dropping dead around Bola Tinabu, and it's a weird situation. Yeah, Bola's getting ready to run for president of Nigeria. He's got to <laughs> tie up some loose ends. <laughs> that is how it feels. I do want to mention, um, just related to that, we're going to talk briefly, not in depth, about the uh, dictator of Nigeria, the military dictator in the 1990s, uh, Sani Abacha. He dies in 1998, he dies of a heart attack, so speaking of heart That's attacks, right. and then he's buried the same day per Muslim custom. However, there's actually speculation printed by U.S. intelligence sources in the New York Times that he was, in fact, poisoned. So oh. when I hear death by heart attack, uh, never know. Or maybe yes. him and the kid just went to the same 
McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> they have that in Nigeria. Sean McCarthy's Kubrick Bell start fucking flashing the moment he hears, oh, died from a heart attack. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last thing I want to mention is one thing real quick. Uh, my wife uh, is, on, is on TikTok, and uh, I found this guy, Mr. Tove. He came on my, he came on her feed recently, and this is during the research of this episode. He talks about something that I found oddly uh, suspicious. Um, there's a trend on TikTok where you do a thing called a duet where a video plays and then you respond to it. And the beginning of the video says, what's some crazy shit that a rich person did or didn't do for you? And this is this guy's story. And let me know if this seems at all familiar to you what has happened. What's the most insane actual rich person behavior that you've experienced? My dad is one of the richest men in Nigeria. So growing up as a child, different ward leaders used to have meetings with my dad in our house. One day I met Barack Obama in my living room and he asked me if I knew he was going to become the next president of the United States. I just laughed and ran back to my room. He was still a senator then. My house in Nigeria has a massive helipad and every member of the family has a private helicopter there. Every girl I dated in high school had to sign a prenup just in case we got married by accident. I have never been on public transport in my life and um, that's something I want to do at least once in my life. One day, my dad saw a homeless man with a lottery ticket and he paid him the maximum amount as if he had won the lottery. My dad said he was just trying to teach his kindness. My brother once dated Rihanna. Okay, so this, so this is the relatable. guy that I found on TikTok, right? And I was like, you know, during the during the research of this episode, I looked up and it like there's only about four to seven listed Nigerian billionaires, according to Forbes. And I was like, that's interesting. I wonder if this guy could be related to the cat that I'm covering, right? Now, uh, Mr. Tove, real name Ola Oja, or Oja Ola, I can't remember right now, his last name is the same as Bola Tinubu's daughter's last name. And as we covered in the last episode, there are a whole bunch of, like, Bola changing his name for passports and academia and stuff. So am I saying that this guy's related to Bola Tinubu? I don't know. But here's a response to the original video that Mr. Toe posted a few days later. Oh my God, guys. The video I posted yesterday about my childhood now has 2 million views. That is insane. When I posted the video yesterday, I never expected it to be seen by so many people. So shout out to everyone who dropped some love, dropped some positive comments on the video. Shout out to you all. You're amazing. However, guys, unfortunately, because of how viral the video went, it has also been seen by some bad people. So my dad's number one business rival in Nigeria saw the video and tried to stalk me on Instagram. So I've had to put my Instagram account on private now. So at the moment, I've got over 10,000 follow requests on Instagram. But don't worry, guys, I'm going to be accepting all of them later today once I get some time. So don't feel like I'm ignoring you. I'm not ignoring anyone. I love you guys so much. Okay, so... (laughs) Uh, I guess there's a reason his brother, not him, got to date Rihanna, huh? <laughs> uh, just just to uh, catch our listeners that might not have caught it, what he mentions is that uh, one of his father's businessmen rivals saw the video and stalked his Instagram. Now, this guy, Mr. Tove, lives in London. A few of Bola's kids do live in London. And uh, do I think he could be related to Bola? There's a possibility. Do I think he's Bola's direct son? I don't know, maybe, but it is it is uh, an interesting coincidence, and uh, on this podcast, we don't believe in coincidences. Uh, so I wanted to mention this guy's silliness, because he is just the most perfect Instagram TikTok turd. 
also love how on brand he is saying like, yeah, I grew up extremely rich, so I got to meet Barack Obama. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, if he is one of uh, Bola's kids living in London, he should check himself for symptoms of hypertension. <laughs> Eat right, start exercising. You know, uh, incidentally, there was a conspiracy before uh, Bola, we'll cover some of this in a moment, uh, became uh, ran for governor for a second term. There was a conspiracy that said that Bola Tinubu died and the new Bola is just a clone replacement and that the original Bola is gone and this guy is someone else, basically, which there is no truth to. But they did think that the original Bola had a stroke and then maybe a heart attack. So odd heart attack uh, conspiracy theories are a abundant in this. this the, is the, bola, second the bola did the bola did conspiracy bola is dead conspiracy yes this is our yeah, second precisely. billionaire like this we've covered after paul mccartney mm-hmm. <laughs> i love the the person may have died uh conspiracy because there's such a like medical science is good enough to clone a person and make them look exactly the same but they're just a couple of tells that people don't recognize that us <laughs> the true chosen people can recognize yeah, if you run this podcast through like an audio engineering software, you can detect a slight change in frequency when I died and was replaced <laughs> by my clone. My favorite part of the McCartney uh, conspiracy theory is some people are like, you know, in the later albums, he's much better at bass. <laughs> <laughs> You're just shitting on him. Yeah. <laughs> it has like, to be a clone. There's no way this is the same person. Look yeah. at how good of right, a musician right. he is. So according to the book, uh, uh, he would get married to Olorimi Tinabu in 1985. This was uh, after he had worked at those American companies and uh, dealt with racism and j- chose to join uh, Mobile Oil Nigeria Limited. And uh, after a few years of being there, he was like, I'm going into politics. Uh, from the book, it basically says that his boss was like, you're crazy. You can't do this. I'll give you a leave for a four year period. And if you want to come back after that, that sounds good. Which is the like, I don't know any company that's like, you can be gone for four years, but we want you back. But that is to the fable of Bola's uh, uh, like amazingness, I guess. I believe we forgot to mention it on part one, but also while, while Bola was working as an accountant for various firms, he briefly worked for Arthur Anderson, which used right. to be one of the big five accounting firms, but they were shut down um, because they were, do- they were doing the books for Enron, uh, oh. which represents too pro- good <laughs> yes they uh that represents probably the last to go out on top <laughs> <laughs> it's like jay-z dropping his magnum opus and then retiring is the accounting right. equivalent of doing the books for enron <laughs> Um, But yeah, so, and this is like one of the last serious white collar prosecutions to take place in the United States was the shutdown Mm -hmm. of Arthur Anderson. But it's just kind of worth noting when we talk about Bola Tinabu stealing all this money while he's governor and all these uh, shady financial practices. He probably learned a lot of that from his time at uh, Arthur Anderson. Definitely. So like we mentioned on the first episode, we won't be covering every political party and military coup that would occur in Nigeria between the early 80s to the early 2000s uh, because there's just a lot of information there and uh, we want to focus fully on uh, Bola Tinubu's time. We will be mentioning a few small details here and there, but uh, this is not a complete look 
at the Nigerian political process and the military coups that occurred before uh, Bolotinibu would become governor. Um, so in 1992, he began his career as a politician when he was elected to the Nigerian Senate. Uh, after the annulment of 1993 presidential elections, he became one of the creators of National Democratic Coalition, also known as the NADECO. Uh, he would then shortly after this leave Nigeria for four years until he would return in 1998. And uh, before we continue on that, uh, Sean has a little bit about the dangers of Nigerians in this time. Yeah, I mean, I just got kind of a quick capsule Wikipedia history of the Nigerian military dictatorship of Sana Abacha. Um, right. He was the military dictator of, of Nigeria from 1993 until his uh, death in 1998. And uh, I don't know much about this guy, but I can tell you he loved doing military coups. He <laughs> yeah, was that's true. Uh, he was a second lieutenant uh, when he took part in a July 1966 Nigerian coup. He played a prominent role in the 1983 Nigerian coup. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was also, and then the general that they brought to power in the 1983 Nigerian coup. He was also played a role in the 1985 Nigerian coup, which removed <laughs> him from power. <laughs> and then, and then finally, on my birthday, no less. November 17, oh. 1993, Abacha, who was then at that time the Minister of Defense of Nigeria, uh, was the most senior uh, person within the military hierarchy at that time of a civilian government. He forced the interim president, Ernest uh, Shonikan, to hand over power. And in 1994, he issued decrees that uh, placed his military dictatorship above the jurisdiction of the courts, um, so giving him absolute power. Uh, gave him the right. right to detain anybody for up to three months without trial, and more more decrees follow. And uh, again, this is just kind of basic Wikipedia history, but I did find this interesting. Apparently, he had a personal security force of 3,000 men trained in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> like, where do you go when the fucking School of the Americas graduates are giving you too much shit yeah. about human rights? <laughs> This is honest. That's like a story of perseverance. It's it's one of those he's like, like he was. It's like he's on like every championship team of the Bulls. <laughs> That's right, right. Four nineteen. He's like going for the sixth ring. Yeah, I want to see his last dance documentary. Yeah, he like. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of a coup, he like hugs the guy they depose and goes, "Fuck you, you bitch." <laughs> He, he retired from the military to suck at single A baseball for a while. <laughs> he came back and did more coups. Played in the minor leagues for a while. Well, didn't really do anything. It's you know how uh, a lot of people have this experience in their life where you you do something and then you realize you're really really good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you're like, this is what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. I didn't like who was elected in '93. And I took that personally. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Abacha, apparently, according to the New York Times, um, in 2004, uh, some organization put a survey together of the 10 most self-enriching leaders of the previous two decades. He ranked number four. The Um, allegation, and you know, we don't take this all with a grain of salt, but this was reported in the New York Times. I guess he's not Jordan. Yes. Uh, he's alleged to have embezzled, him and his family are alleged to have embezzled between one and five billion U.S. dollars. 
Jeez. throughout his five year reign. So <laughs> he was uh, taking it pretty quickly. Um, and then also, uh, kind of more depressingly, less funny was um, Shell, uh, Royal Dutch Shell Oil. Uh, cooperated with the Nigerian military dictatorship. Um, Nigeria has uh, large oil resources. Uh, Royal, du- Royal Dutch Shell has been uh, mining that for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Throughout the 90s, there were various nonviolent protests by Nigerians against Royal Dutch Shell because obviously they're uh, ripping off the natural resources that belong to the Nigerian people and... Uh, taking a healthy chunk and leaving very little for the people in that impoverished country. Uh, there was an Ogani activist named uh, Ken Saro Wiwa, who was who led a, a movement of nonviolent protest against that. And in 1995, he was hanged by the military dictatorship. He was actually just one of several um, of these activists who were uh, executed, murdered by the military dictatorship. very much with the cooperation and help of Royal Dutch Shell to the point where uh, beginning in 1996 uh, various human rights lawyers with the uh, Center for Constitutional Rights and uh, Earth Rights International um, and a few other uh, human rights attorneys they brought a series of cases to hold uh, Shell accountable um, under the Alien Tort Statute it's a 1978 US law that gives non-citizens the right to file suits in US court for uh, international human rights violation um, including damages over uh, torture or extra or extrajudicial <laughs> killings regardless of where the violations take place in uh, 2009 shell settled this for 15.5 million dollars um, denied wrongdoing now if you carry out extrajudicial killings do you get shell rewards points for that <laughs> <laughs> they they put their uh, the the 15.5 million settlement on their shell mastercard so they actually get they got a bunch of uh, delta miles because of how they paid out the settlement but yeah yeah i mean it uh, you know from everything I read uh, about Nigeria during this time period, it it does play off like man this country was extremely destabilized during this time from the amount of coups going on, but all of it screams Western uh, intervention based off the precious natural resources that were being mined in the region at the time. So uh, am I shocked that this nation of oil and other precious goods is is constantly at war with itself? Uh, not really. No, I. I expect that from uh, the Dutch. It's fucking clogging fucks. There's a, a very fascinating documentary. I can't. I wish I could remember the name, but it, it follows um, these oil executives in Ghana um, mm-hmm. after oil was discovered, and they set up some offshore platforms. And there's this uh, politician who uh, gives this speech about how he's going to be even taxing the oil producers, and then backstage after the speech, like one of the oil executives walks up to him, is like that thing about. Um, raising taxes on businesses, you're not really going to do that, right? And he just says it right in front of the camera, and the the politician just gets all flustered, like, "Oh, well, I I mean, you know, it it kind of <laughs> perfect." But yeah, my main takeaway from the 1990s military dictatorship um, that I guess Bolatinabu had to flee from briefly is that mm-hmm. Nigeria has gone from a country with a horrific corruption and uh, horrific human rights abuses to a country with horrific corruption and horrific human rights abuses. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, sadly, I don't know if that will ever change in my lifetime, which is very fucked up. 
Because Nigerians seem great. Like, I mean, I've been shitting on Bola and Mr. Tove, but from Naira Land to all the mother cats in the YouTube videos that I've seen so far, friendly, fantastic, uh, very kind. And honestly, if you ain't got Nigerians in your life, you're fucking up. They seem like a very fun, lovely people. Yeah, our podcast does kind of present a biased perspective because we're only talking about the Nigerians who have never taken public transportation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? I like that he's aspiring to take public transportation. It's something he has to build up to. <laughs> yeah, something I want to do once in my life. It's on his bucket list. Oh, once in my life, I just I really want to take public transportation. You know, it's lifelong dream. I want to see Machu Picchu and I want to take the bus. <laughs> talking to his therapist like i got 10 steps closer to the subway today but then i smelled the urine and i turned around but that's good mr toe this is progress talking to his future grandkids yeah when i met obama i got scared and ran away to my room but not nearly as scared as when i first saw a subway train i saw a dude jerking off i thought this isn't as bad as obama all right um moving back to this time period of the early 90s for bulletinaboo uh, from the uh, book and uh, my research, what I understand is that his time as senator was short-lived in 92. Uh, the Nigerian military coups and, and politics is that the 93 presidential election seemed suspicious to the military leaders who had begun the coup in 1985 and 83, like Sean mentioned. So due to the election results, Bola, as well as other government officials, would flee the country. From the book, uh, General Sani Abacha turned Nigeria into a gulag for anyone who had the temerity to question his autocratic rule from page 249 um moving to the next page march 9th 1994 the abacha killer squad went after senator tinabu and cordoned his office house in victoria island lagos but fortunately for him he had escaped having been tipped off by an informant abacha's security killing squad firebombed the house so and and that, that story continues on later on we're gonna we're gonna talk about a conspiracy about Bola potentially destroying his own property for personal gain. And do I think maybe he did this at this time and chose to escape and be like, I can't go home. They're attacking me. Uh, maybe, maybe for like immigration extradition type of stuff. But honestly, uh, he wouldn't necessarily need to do that. And Senator, uh, I mean, um, General Abacha certainly, um, I mean, that dude can fuck. He could beat the shit out of people from what I understand. He was uh, a straight hardcore gangster. Yeah, can I just say, if General Abacha sends me a check for 2000 he can do what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like Sean mentioned, uh, Abacha would be murdered on June 7th, 1998. Uh, the book talks about a group called the Kaduna Mafia, which is a group of northern power brokers made up of retired military generals, uh, elite emers, intellectuals, mullahs, and businessmen. A quote from Dr. Bashir Amerikara says this group is a group of conservative people who regard the power as their heritage in Nigeria. Uh, the book alludes to the death of Abacha as being linked to this group. Mm. And when he talks about what Bola Tinabu was doing at this time, Bola's like, me and my friend were in London. We saw it happen on TV. When we saw the body, we're like, wow, this is crazy. And it's like, boy... This sounds like the perfect alibi for a man that may or may not be guilty in this crime. I had no idea this was going to happen, except for all those letters I sent saying, hey, you got to murder that guy before I come back. Um, do I think Bolatinabu murdered Abacha? No, but I think he probably could have at this time. As a man that moved 
millions of dollars worth of heroin in Chicago, do I think he could have pulled off a hit of a general in Nigeria? Uh, maybe. I don't think. I don't see why that's so far fetched. And I mean, to talk about the corruption of Bolatinabu, like his days of being the bagman for heroin in Chicago, I found an old Chicago news report that talked about a heroin dealer named Bobo that had been taken down, that had run heroin between the late 70s and the early 80s. And from what they said, uh, heroin grown from poppies could be like plucked like Monday morning and then by, uh, in Thailand, I believe, and then by Tuesday at noon, it would be inched on the Chicago streets. And FedEx can't even get me my fucking package by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's called just-in-time logistics. <laughs> Operation Warp Speed. They're, they're contracting with Jeff Bezos and Amazon now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically. You know, so from my understanding is that between Bola's time as an accountant and his time being a bag man... He was able to collaborate and connect with rich and powerful people all across the world that may or may not needed a crafty accountant that could cook books. So, like, I mean, you're telling me that he couldn't have figured out how to get a guy murdered in uh, Nigeria that was running a coup? I mean, it's very unlikely, but then at the same time, does he have the capital, the connections, and the motive to do it? Uh, Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's something where on part one, I was kind of confused as to why an accountant would bother to run heroin, you know, like, why don't you just (laughs) spend your accountant money? But I guess it's like, if you want to take over a country, then you have to you have to also be running heroin. You need both Mm. sources of income and the connections with the kind of people who are running heroin and and Mm. all this kind of stuff probably sets him up pretty well for when he returns to Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah. And like the book alludes to the fact that like he he spent his time learning the craft of accounting the same time an american politician was growing up barack obama like there's no real like obama and bola are friends or nothing but there's a lot of like did you know they are both black and spent time in chicago that is why they are great like a lot of um uh uh what's that warmonger's name uh bola uh bola no, well, let no, it be not clear. Bola. Uh, I need that <laughs> Mexican black tar by Tuesday. <laughs> uh, Kissinger. There's a whole, a whole bunch of quotes from in the book uh, from Kissinger talking about why people can be great in, in times of strife. I was thinking about Ob- Obama visiting the other gay, and like the kid is playing, um, he's playing Xbox in his room, and then Obama's in there, and then he's playing like. NBA Jam or something or like NBA 2K. Right, right. And Obama just beats his ass at it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Ebola, if uh, you send me that uh, trash you sent me last week, I'm going to put you on a kill list. (laughs) (laughs) So Ebola Tinubu would return to Nigeria in 1998. And in 1999, he was elected as executive governor of Lagos State and was re-elected for the same position in 2003. In 2007, he would be replaced by Babatunde Fashola. During Bola's years in office, he heavily invested in education and growing infrastructure. Now, how he did this also inflated his wallet 10 to 15 times the amount he went in with, but that's a story for right now. Yeah, and just a little bit of context. Again, with the death of Abacha in 1998, um, this is kind of the res- it restores a republic 
form of government to Nigeria so that Bola is able to come back and run for governor of Lagos. And we mentioned on part one, he makes promises to build 10,000 housing units for uh, the poor, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, they're they're still in checks in the mail. I'm sure they're going to be up (laughs) anytime now. Yeah, the uh, line of Bordelian documentary calls him the looter in chief and uh, a modern day Nero, essentially. And I mean, it's not necessarily wrong. Uh, The way he was able to commit a lot of these acts was he would utilize a company called alpha beta tax that was able to close the tax loopholes nigerians were previously doing and then maximize the amount of things that you could be taxed for in nigeria and from that he was able to fleece i mean the documentary at one point alludes to him fleecing 75 percent of the amount of taxes that was paid during that time. Mm. Like Alpha Beta itself was taken like I think th- between uh, 12 and 15% and Bolo was pocketing like 6 billion naira a month, something along those lines. But then later on the documentary says one governor we found was taking 75% <laughs> of the taxes. And it's like, okay, this do- this documentary is about one governor. <laughs> it is probably bullshit <laughs> what they're talking about, you know? Um, that documentary that we discussed a moment ago, uh, The Line of Bordillion, uh, also Unmasked Bolotinibu, is on YouTube. Uh, Bola would sue over its existence and stop the rest of production run on that documentary done by TIC. Sean, do you have something? Um, yeah, and just for context, we mentioned it on part one, but um, Lagos State, the state that he's elected governor of, is the richest state in Nigeria. So when we talk mm-hmm. about these kind of like scams that he's running to skim off the tax money it should just be noted that he's able to make so much money doing this because he's uh in charge of the government of the richest state within the country of nigeria and so now we're going to talk about how bolo was able to fleece uh the people of lagos of their tax money Stephen, prior to bola's uh governorship lagos had relatively like hodgepodge tax system that wasn't even electronic for the most part mm-hmm. and he was able to contract his co- uh, company he had a stake in, Alpha Beta, to be the tax consultant to uh, modernize it and close loopholes and basically just make it like a rigorous tax system that could actually bring in uh, whatever tax money they had the Congress had passed. Right. And it was already kind of fishy that someone had like just like a passive interest in the old, the sole contractor to take on this massive program. <laughs> the fucking but, governor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> For a time he was the sitting government governor while this was happening. From the book, the way they describe it is Bola would bring on alpha beta to help cause, fix the problems of the current tech situation. And at no point did they go, Oh yeah, he was running the show and fleecing it for his fucking pockets. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite stats from the Lion of Berdillion was just the fact that Alpha Beta had no known history of revenue collection. <laughs> so, yeah. definitely the kind of company you want doing this. So, eventually, in years later, after Bola left that office, it was found, it was uncovered in some investigative journalism. Uh, in 2014, Alpha Beta had these like unexplained transfers of money. Mm-hmm. And it amounted to in their five such transfers that amounted in total to four point four five billion naira, which is about twelve million dollars. And they even got the bank account, and it was traced eventually back to Bola. 
And this was Weren't like uh, this was like well in excess of what he would have reaped from his ownership stake in Alpha Beta, like Jeez. you know, like as getting a, a distribution just for their work as a contractor. I was paying for the ten thousand houses for the poor. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, wasn't it something like sixteen bank accounts across a handful of banks that were looked at for this crime? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I should say that. That twelve million dollars was what they could like definitively prove for one account, right. but yeah, it's alleged to be much larger. Uh, if it seems strange that he was able to get his company to be the only contractor to do this massive problem pro- project, uh, he while he was governor, he passed a law that allowed it to happen. <laughs> so it changed the rules on the bidding process such that Alpha Beta could get the job. Hmm. Just being a good businessman. Yeah, he's just speeding up. He's, he's rooting out corruption from more established companies to get the little guy a shot, the little guy that he owns. And Hilarious. And Steve, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I did like uh, that this seems to have a little bit of a connection to Roman history, which I've been reading about more just to think about literally anything except the JFK assassination. <laughs> but... Um, uh, under the Roman Empire and the Roman Republic. I don't want to the, think about JFK, but I do want to think about assassinations. <laughs> uh, under the Roman Empire and the Republic, the various uh, provinces that they conquered, they would the Roman government would essentially sell the right to collect taxes there to private companies. Like so, a private uh, yeah. company would go collect oh. the taxes and you know get a little bit of profit from that and ostensibly under roman law senators were not supposed to have ownership stakes in those companies but uh many did uh, regardless <laughs> but um it is just sort of funny B- where bolo is bolo is flagrantly flaunting roman law right now <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be crucified if he keeps this up um, Caesar like during his life he kept getting or in his early career he kept getting massive loans from uh, Crassus uh, <laughs> to like put on public events and really raise his profile and the reason like Crassus kept giving him all this money for something that didn't have an immediate return was the assumption was that Caesar would eventually get high enough profile that he could go to a province and basically just loot it as the governor <laughs> of a province <laughs> But yeah, so um, this company, Alpha Beta, logistically was just kind of collecting the taxes um, on behalf of the Lagos state government. To be clear, they actually did modernize it to an extent, and it is like somewhat uh, workable now, especially considering where it came from. But also there is just massive corruption (laughs) that it was partially (laughs) facilitated by the contract. Yeah. And adding on to this, um, the documentary, The Lion of uh, Bordillion that we've been referencing here has a a fun little stat. They say between 2000 and 2009, Alpha Beta took 15% of all tax revenue generated in Lagos. Um, So that's like literally 15% of all tax money went directly into their pocket as fees. Right. And these are like far higher fees than would be typically collected by any sort of private company. Then from 2010 to 2015, they took about 10% of just literally all tax revenue directly into their own pocket. And that's not even like the stuff they stole on top. This is just the fee they're collecting. Yeah. That's another thing. It was like a super unusual, unusually sweet deal for them. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't normally be like okay, you can not only are you taking a higher percentage of um, 
the revenue, but it's like baked in for year after year after year. From that 2000 to 2009 period, from the documentary, it was approximately 1.464 trillion in taxes that was raised in this period, with 13 percent that would go to Bola in two years. 26 billion naira had been paid to Bola. Mm-hmm. I think part of why uh, that one particular transaction I mentioned was important is because otherwise there are a lot of other alleged connections through looking at tra- unusual transaction activity from banks that were mm-hmm. happened to be linked to companies he owned. Mm. That just happened to be one where they like, I guess they, f- it's uh, alleged that he just fucked up and didn't mask, <laughs> he didn't mask it properly. It's <laughs> so, like if you, like uh, right. the suspicious activity reports that we covered a while ago for the US banking system. So mm-hmm. they have that in Nigeria also. And so like if you uh, were to transfer like over like 200,000 Naira, so mm-hmm. like you should probably just do one hundred ninety nine thousand nine 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 Naira. Right, right, right. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Uh, to uh, look suspicious, alert the system. Yeah, like mm-hmm. start not doing that. Can I just say, uh, Bola Tinubu becoming a billionaire by being the governor of a province and then owning the private tax collecting company that uh, collects taxes there? It's nice to finally cover a billionaire who is a student of the classics. <laughs> you know, this man has a, a, a history appreciation for the history of Rome that we just haven't That's really right. gotten on this podcast before. You know, it's just amazing the kind of corruption you see in in Nigeria, unlike, um, you know, here in America, where uh, our mayor of New York City, um, uh, previous mayor, only started as a billionaire and then um, septupled his his net worth as as mayor is that right septuple what, what's the five times uh quint, quint? quintuple oh he quintupled his his net worth from five billion to 25 billion while mayor i wouldn't have called you on it if you hadn't asked andy <laughs> i would have been like that sounds right <laughs> but yeah no that was my uh favorite uh, reaction reading about the roman senators being uh barred by law from owning these private tax collecting companies was uh Oh, I guess U.S. senators are not actually barred by law from trading stock in their own name, are they? Huh? <laughs> Listen, we're not we're not defending Roman senators here, but we're no, just saying no, they didn't engage all. in this particular vector of corruption. But yeah, and like as we've mentioned, Lagos, of course, being the richest state in Nigeria, is how he's able to become a billionaire off like stealing all this money. But uh, the documentary line of Berdillion, they actually list all of the different taxes collected in Lagos throughout the time. That's right. And we would play it, but it's like four minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> Just a yeah. list of every single tax Ooh. that they're paying. That documentary is very hard to follow. <laughs> it's very uh, dense. Great information. But yes. it's yeah. just like, it's literally just a list of everything he owns. I remember I sent Steven the list. I was like, hey, Steven, could you look at this list real quick? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then like I got a message back a few, like a day later. It was just like, that's a, that's a really dense documentary. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's why, that's why I need your help with this gigantic fucking list. Because it is like a seven to 12 minute. I think really the reason Bola sued the documentary was not because anything in it was incorrect, but just the gall to be like, you you want to know what the fuck you did? Here's eight minutes worth of scrolling text of everything that's now taxed because of your dumbass. <laughs> I did like that the guy the guy list the narrator. Uh, you you could just mm-hmm. you could feel the just the disgust that he has yeah. for the for <laughs> yeah, the right. Like as he was listing off, he's like as this barely contained sort of like, and then he he stole this shopping center from the people. <laughs> 
So you might be wondering, where did all this money end up? Where does taxable money from Nigerians that ends up in Bola's pocket end up? Well, the land in Lagos that is controlled by Bola is valued at over 500 billion naira. So what he would end up doing was taking that money and then investing in real estate in Lagos. And in some cases, not even just investing in it, but using the government finances to buy property and to have them gift it back to Bola if he signed a law into action, which is what occurred with one of his house, housing properties. Like, just the utter gall to be like, hey, guys, come on. I'll sign this law, but y'all got to buy me a house. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's literally like car dealership negotiation. Like, I'll buy a car, but mm, you got to throw in some fucking floor mats. It, this is public land and property. Right. A lot of it, anyway. Yeah, the documentary goes through too many examples of him just stealing land while he was governor mm-hmm. uh, to list all of them, but just a couple of the funnier ones to me. So he's governor of Lagos State from 1999 to 2007. When he leaves in 2007, the Lagos State government uh, personally grants him the governor's guest house since 1979. <laughs> so the government just says, yeah, the, where the governor has a guest house, that's yours now, privately forever. Right. Right. Um, the state buys his residence and then sells it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> or no, they didn't even sell it. They gave it back no, to him. They just gave him money and gave it back to him for free. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, apparently a 250 hectare plot was meant for a hospital is uh, seized by him and yep. <laughs> becomes his own personal property. Um, and then just like the the last thing that I found so funny. So he leaves the governor's office in 2007. His former chief of staff becomes the next governor. So, of course, he's right. still in there. And the legislature, the Lago State Assembly, marches to his private residence and pledges That's allegiance right. to him yep. immediately after his successor is sworn in. Right. Uh, but then, so Babatunde Fashola is like, "Hey, you're the new guy," and then immediately after that meeting, they're like, "Hey, let's go over to Bola's and let him know we're still cool with you, bro." But yeah, the the documentary alleges that even after he left the governorship, he continued to um, sign documents and backdate them to the time that he was in office. (laughs) So he would like just grant himself properties. And, you know, of Mm -hmm. course, like he establishes this whole patronage network. So the documentary goes through. He has all these people that are like on his payroll working at the Nigeria, the Lago State Land Office who just say like, yeah, this transfer looks legit. So he'll just sign shit and say, yeah, I did this in 2005. I gave myself this piece of property and it just does that right. all the time. Mm-hmm. I think before that, he was like, check this out. I learned this from Arthur Anderson. <laughs> 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 yeah, from the documentary, it talks about uh, in addition to federal taxes, they pay taxes on a long list of items. Uh, from Dr. Dominic's petition, he is quoted as saying, the government of Lagos State boasts of internally generated revenue of about 40 billion naira every month, translating into the commission of 6 billion naira being paid to Alphabet Consulting LTD also every month, which some I consider unfavorable and outrageous to me as a taxpayer and citizen of Lagos State. Uh, moving on in the documentary, it talks about the Lagos progressive movement would finger Bola in a huge land scam running in billions of naira. They put out a statement saying, we, the Lagos Progressive Movement, once again wish to update fellow Nigerians on the various land scams perpetuated by former Governor Bola Tinabu and being covered up by Governor Babatunde Fashula. The facts are true and verifiable. We have gone further to quote real names 
of collaborators and addresses of, for, of properties for readers to verify themselves. The collaborators who enabled Bola were Benge Ashafa, the former permanent secretary and lands bureau since 2001 and serving senator, as well as Miss Felicia Obofusea, the former permanent secretary and a relation to Bola Tinabu from Iraqi. Osun State and Hakim Muri Akunola, the former personal assistant to Tinubu, who is now the permanent secretary minister of lands. So essentially, people that were working for him then later on were in positions that he, he could hook Bola up in. So it's like, hey, listen, I know you used to run coffee for me, but now <laughs> you're the secretary of land in fucking Lagos. Could you just sign this property over to me so I don't yell at you tomorrow? Yeah, sure, boss. Can I just say respect to you, Yogi, for giving the old college try at pronouncing those names? Because I did all right. I didn't do. <laughs> I definitely I had the names and I intentionally punted on saying the names. <laughs> so if you're a billionaire out there and you don't want to get bad press on grub stakers, just make your name very hard to pronounce. You know what? On that last episode when we did them Icelandic fucks, I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna leave this aside. I got about twelve to seventeen fucking Nigerian names. I got in my heart real quick. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, we were covering the countries with the hardest names to pronounce for Americans. There was there was one name in that episode that was very easy to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had fun with it. I put some Windows error sounds when I was trying to read some names. It, it was it was Thor, too bad. Thor Bjorgolfsson, check it out. Yeah. Oh, I was talking about George Lincoln Rockwell. But. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, White man. Episode, uh, Thor Bjergolfs in the episode. Jeff, definitely yeah. check it out. Well, for our SoundCloud people, they did not hear uh, this Patreon episode. But if you pay us five bucks uh, and listen to our show, uh, then you could hear it. And also, we have an open standing, well, open door policy. If you tell us you can't afford our show, but you want to listen to it, we'll give it to you for free. Um, yeah, but I just canceled that policy unilaterally. <laughs> you want to hear the pronunciation? You got to pay, you broke motherfuckers. <laughs> if you gift us property after we leave office, then you'll, <laughs> then you'll get the Patreon. You know, a lot of people think Sean was a lot nicer before he broke Corona rules and went up to Connecticut. But then after that, this new version of Sean that came on the show, just a lot more vicious, a lot more knowledgeable about Roman rule for some reason. And he won't stop talking about the CIA. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but I'm pretty sure that this was the moment that the camel's back broke and the grub stakers instead of being on the top of the soil, went under to the underbelly of society. Hey, this is a weird tangent, but you guys remember when I went to Washington, D.C. on Easter weekend, and on the uh, steps of the Capitol, there was a guy dressed as a centurion standing next to a cross. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that, yeah. And then we were, we were going to do a bit with him on camera, and then he turned out to be real nice. And so we're like, oh, yeah. I, guess, I guess it would be mean to make fun of you for this weird thing you're doing. <laughs> what if what if you were a guy who's thought it was bullshit the paul mccartney is dead conspiracy but you actually thought paul mccartney died of coronavirus and they just replaced him <laughs> so you're like it was the same paul mccartney until 2020 but now it's a new paul mccartney um before we move on to our final controversy on this episode one quick one i wanted to mention to you guys that i found recently was um in March of 2017, it was announced that Bolatinabu was to spar in a boxing match Ooh. against Evander Holyfield, former world champion in heavyweight. The match was a charity event that was intended to attract international attention to numerous problems of the African continent, especially serious diseases in children. 
the 54-year-old former champion and 65-year-old former governor were supposed to fight on May 24th. But when the date of the match rolled in, Tinabu didn't show up. Smart. <laughs> even, even though a lot of people thought Asiwaju got too scared, he has a fish issued an official apology where he stated that he had some national assignment to take care of, which, boy, if that's <laughs> not a squelch, I've never heard a worse one in my life. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm supposed to spar with Evander Holyfield today. Could you give me some busy work for on May 24th? <laughs> he was going to eat his other ear. <laughs> <laughs> but just to mention, there are a couple other random hits from the documentary. Uh, we, we mentioned all those properties. According to the documentary, Bola is the biggest landlord in all of Nigeria, um, that's alleged, but it should just be noted kind of the scale of all this. They also say he is the most indicted governor in the history of Lagos since its creation in 1967. Um, he's We won't go through really all of his court cases, but you can imagine he's gotten away with most of them just through mm-hmm. his network of influence and uh, af- uh, the gold bully on vans that we mentioned in the previous episode, um, mm-hmm. the previous part one. And also one other piece of property that I didn't mention in my list. There was a multi-billion dollar highway uh, constructed in Lagos State. Uh, Bola Tinubu got a 30-year concession to build, operate, and transfer, like do upkeep on this highway. So, you know, like the, the guy has tons of different revenue streams all over the place. And then he creates this patronage network where he has people in the lands bureau. He has his former chief of staff as the governor, the parliament pledging allegiance to him. He just spreads the money around enough that even after he leaves, he uh, has enough power and money um, and enough of an influence network to continue being the kingmaker in Lagos. All right. So the one thing I want to cover real quick before we cover our last controversy with Bolatinabu is his wife runs a charity that is for impoverished children that have been orphaned and or sexually assaulted. Mm. Um, From the numbers, it's something like one in every five boys and one in three girls is assaulted, sexually assaulted by like seven or eight years old. Um, By Bola Tenebu. Yeah. I thought you were going to So the thing I am actually going towards is that like they have built like a facility for or you know, children to stay at if they're being abused, as well as like an app to be like, hey, I'm being abused, I need help, right? Oh, an and app. It's like that'll fix the problem. That app is TikTok. They have an app for you can let people know if Bola is near you. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say this is another example of Bolo giving um, fat government contracts to private companies connected to him. <laughs> he's actually he's actually the one doing the sexual assaulting and the one who owns the company that helps with the sexual assaulting i mean like that's what i'm trying to say though like you know jokes aside here like if you wanted to cover your tracks of you or your employees or people you know wanting to fuck kids you would totally create like a, we're covering everyone that make, we're trying to end this problem and it's like i you know my brain kind of breaks, but then it's like, oh, so fucking Abacha dies of a heart attack, and then his son does, and then his there's a woman that's not his wife, but it's clearly a woman he he knocked up, and oh, now his his current wife has a, a charity where she takes care of kids that have been sexually assaulted. It's just it's just odd. The fact that we allow billionaires to have control of the lives of the people that are on the bottom of the barrel in society is only going to lead to more impoverished people being abused for the rest of time and i hate that my brain immediately went to oh his wife runs a charity how are they raping kids like that's immediately where my brain went but 
didn't take y'all to figure that out either. So I, I, I'm not, at least I'm not alone in this madness. I like to imagine Bola's lawyers listening to this episode for two hours and then hearing Yogi say that and going, all right, now we got him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, his nephew uh, owns Owanda Oil and uh, in 2017, they are wrapped up in a investigation for alleged financial malpractice. Huh, someone connected to Bola does malpractice with finance and oil. Uh, the Oanda the 250 million market cap energy conglomerate with assets in downstream, midstream, and upstream sectors is one of Nigeria's largest independent oil companies and is listed on the Nigerian and South African Stock Exchange. Uh, the SEC since sent a formal letter to the company as it examines the oil regulations have been breached. Meanwhile, the market reacted negatively to the news, obviously. Uh, Oanda paid $1.65 billion for the acquisition of oil producing assets owned by Conoco Phillips in 2014. And so, you know, similar to our Rambaxi episode, essentially I think that they bought something that could or could not have been a lemon and didn't pay for it. I don't know exactly what's going on, but Bolotinibu is directly connected with Oanda Oil. Taking a, a couple steps back, uh, does anyone know what country specifically Kevin Spacey, Chris Tucker, and Bill Clinton flew to in Africa with uh, Jeffrey Epstein? I don't. I don't offhand, Andy. I don't. I'm 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 like browsing around, and everything just says Africa. <laughs> it's it's perfectly coarse. Yeah. Just wait till you find they stop by Bolotinibu's charity. <laughs> at a, a rest stop at his charity and Epstein oh, felt geez. very relaxed afterwards. <laughs> I was going to say. But yeah, I did want to mention, uh, we said earlier we wouldn't cover all the court cases, but just uh, from a couple of them that are representative, uh, we mentioned on part one, uh, Bola faced perjury charges for forging his academic qualifications when he filled out forms to run for governor in 1999. He lied about the different schools he went to. Uh, he blames the perjury on his political aides filling out the forms for him. Uh, and obviously pretending that he went to a better college like the University of Chicago um, in June 2000 or sorry, in April 2007, he's brought to trial over um, 16 separate foreign accounts. We mentioned briefly these accounts with uh, banks like Citibank that he'd previously been uh, running heroin with. Um, but he's able to get off on that. And in two, September 2009, the British Metropolitan Police investigated uh, the Lagos state government uh, for its investment in Econet, uh, also known as Airtel, which is apparently a company that Bola Tinubu has connection to. But the Nigerian federal government refused to release information to British prosecutors. So there was uh, no uh, trial there. But, you know, because Bola operates in London and some of his kids operate in London, he did almost face a court case there at one point. Yeah. I mean, the man is internationally connected and uh, he's got his hands in many pockets all around the world. And it makes sense. I mean, you know, in a lot of our billionaire stories, there's a 10 to 20 year period where you're just kind of learning the game. And for Bola Tinubu, from after he's in college to before he becomes governor, he just spends about 12 to 15 ish years traveling the country of the United States and the world doing accounting for major blue chip corporations and sh other shady people that we may or may not know about. Like, like the eventually, cartel. <laughs> I mean, eventually the motherfucker went, you know what? I think I could put two and two together for myself as well. And it, it shows. He was like, yeah, those heroin dealers were pretty bad, but I really learned the life of crime when I met Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So to uh, close out our episode, we're going to be covering the Leckie Tollgate Massacre. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the corporation uh, Leckie Concession Company, LCC, is owns the Leckie Tollgates. Uh, you may have seen uh, in uh, mid-October about a protest in Nigeria against SARS, which is a group that's long title is special anti-robbery squad i mean basically they're just you know they're like nypd but slightly less hardcore <laughs> no uh you know all honestly uh you just straight up police brutality everything from uh if you got an iphone you walking around they go how come you got money and 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 rob you and roll out and you know from the news reports i found from nigeria people literally are like if you dress nice they show up and say, you seem like you got money. How come I, it's not in my pocket? Mm -hmm. And so early in October, they were pro protesting uh, at the Lucky Toll Gates and uh, an incident occurred. Sean, you want to elaborate? Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of follow up what you were saying there, Yogi, October 2020 uh, starts this NSARS um, protest. The hashtag that goes around Twitter is NSARS, which is um, not a racist take on the coronavirus. It's actually <laughs> related to the, to this uh, special anti-robbery squad that Yogi mentioned. The special anti-robbery squad was set up in the 1990s under the military dictatorship. There was a serious problem with uh, armed robbery and armed gangs robbing people. So the idea right. you have a special anti-robbery squad, it's plainclothes police who are supposed to deal with all this robbery, but it ends up kind of like the crash unit in Los Angeles or, you know, Denzel Washington in the movie Training Day. <laughs> they get uh, very corrupt. They uh, end up getting accused of extortion, robbery, rape, torture, extrajudicial killings, um, setting up checkpoints where they're shaking people down. Or like Yogi mentioned, if they just see anybody with money, they'll pull them over and say, oh, you must be an Internet scammer or something. And mm -hmm. they'll throw you in jail um, if you don't <laughs> hand over whatever. Um, so there have been these massive protests against the um, uh, special anti-robbery squad, and they were actually successful, and SARS has been disbanded, uh, oh. by which I mean it has had its name changed to SWAT, Special Weapons oh. and Tactics. Jeez. And this is actually the fourth time that SARS has been disbanded. Uh, <laughs> wow. So the Nigerian government is on a great run of changing the name of this organization to try to placate uh, the protests that have been springing up since its creation. Right. But I think but they uh, need to try is more community policing. <laughs> really get to know the neighborhood, <laughs> the people that you're shaking down. That's right. It's like when you're a fugitive and you keep making up names to keep ahead of the law. <laughs> right, 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 like right. Lance Evercut. Um, but yeah, this most recent uh, protest in October 2020 has been the largest um, because other issues such as corruption and, you know, demands for better schools, better jobs have also become part of the uh, the protest. So it got a lot of people out on the street. Yeah, I believe that some of it that wasn't nearly as covered was the fact that there was government aid for coronavirus that was hidden in warehouses and there were video reports around the same time as these protests of people like storming a warehouse that just had pallets of pallets of masks, hand sanitizer, and food for the people that was just never distributed. So just, I mean, it's Nigerians that are seeing straight up corruption and saying, fuck this noise. Uh, they need to know that we're not taking the shit anymore. 
Yeah, and when we mentioned corruption, um, I haven't been able to tie Bola to this directly. It seems like more of an issue with the Nigerian federal government, though I'm sure he knows players involved and has relationships with them. But there was a report that came out that said about 20 billion U.S. dollars worth of Nigerian oil wealth is unaccounted for, um, very likely just uh, uh, taken offshore and stuck in a Cayman Islands account by somebody. So you can just imagine the kind of public anger that is uh, fueling these protests. And so at the Lekki Tollgates in mid-October, uh, at one point during the protests, uh, protesters are not necessarily corralled, but sort of corralled into an area. Um, from one report, lights were then turned off, mm. and the the SARS and police that were belong to the military open fired on the protesters. And I believe they murdered six people, Sean, is that correct? And then injured 20, something along those lines? Yeah, so there's conflicting reports. Amnesty International says at least a dozen people died. Um, this is There's a good CNN article. Uh, they pointed their guns at us and started shooting. Uh, how a bloody night of bullets and, uh, and brutality quashed a young protest movement. Um, so October 21, 2020... Uh, like late just after midnight, dozen, uh, according to CNN, dozens of eyewitnesses say they were shot at first by members of the Nigerian army and then hours later by the police. Uh, eyewitnesses told CNN they saw the army remove a number of bodies from the scene. Um, in the immediate aftermath, the army denied any involvement, saying that it was fake news before backtracking and saying that soldiers were present but fired their weapons in the air and used blanks but not live rounds. It's the same thing that happened with those uh, Blackwater guys and killed all those people in Iraq. That's why they got pardoned. <laughs> they weren't bullets, bro. They were blanks. Um, one of the connections to Bolaf at the Lekki Tollgate massacre was that there were billboards that were owned by a son of Bola's that had turned their lights off as well as the property itself that Bola's connected to. So you have protesters in the dark being shot. Mm. I mean, being you know, getting shot is a terrible experience in itself, but it, in the dark, terrifying, terrifying. You're just hearing f- f- like bangs and loud flashes are in your face. Uh, disorienting as fuck, if you ask me. Yeah, it's owned by one of the sons of Bola who doesn't have any cardiovascular problems. <laughs> <laughs> and following this uh, Lucky Tolkien massacre, a few of Bola's properties, the Oriental Hotel, uh, the paper he owns, those buildings were burned. And... I also supposedly in London, his son Sei was kidnapped as well. Although I haven't found any reports after the initial kidnapping that happened after the Lucky Tolkien massacre, some people believe that the buildings being on fire were to instigate hate against the protesters and to lend sympathy to Bola, basically being like he set up those buildings being on fire so that people would be like, oh, he's losing a property. And those protesters are violent to instigate that narrative, which very plausible and only only adds to my mistrust of uh, Bola uh, Tinabu. Yeah. And we should just emphasize, you can watch videos online if you can stomach it. That's part of how the CNN report was put together. They put a, mm-hmm. a bunch of uh, cell phone videos together to kind of show what happened. These are entirely peaceful protests who probably about a dozen of them were just shot dead by the military and the police uh, because they wanted to live in a country that uh, wasn't totally corrupt and where, you know, 15% of all tax revenue didn't go to one guy in a country with endemic poverty. Um, But uh, Yogi also sent me a pretty fascinating article just about the 
about Bola Tinubu's son and uh, the Lekki Tollgate massacre. This is just from news2.onlinenigeria.com. So the, the advert company that has these billboards that Yogi mentioned on the Lekki Tollgate, it's owned by Seye Tinubu, who is uh, one of the sons of uh, Bola Tinubu. Um, and then just quoting from the article, there has been outrage over the decision to disable CCTV cameras and turn off the billboard lights right. shortly before NSARS protesters were attacked at the Lecky Tollgate. So it's not just that this guy shut off the lights. He also turned off all the CCTV cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And apparently they had to they posted a statement on their Instagram handle saying, uh, quote, when the NSARS and say no to police brutality protests started from day one, we wholly supported the movement and used all our platforms to promote the message. I believe the promoters can verify this information as we believed in the cause. On Tuesday, when the curfew was announced, we heeded the governor's warnings and didn't want our staff in any danger. Hence, by 3 p.m., our staff had been ordered to leave the site and the board was switched off based on the governor's curfew request. So they're essentially just punting and saying like, oh, we were just following the governor's orders. And it's like, well, who owns the governor of Lago State? Why, that would be Bola Tinubu. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, security cameras notoriously have to be manned 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask all y'all a question right now. Do you think Bolatinabu will run for president in 2023? And if he does, will he win? Because his power only grows with everything we've mentioned. And really, I mean, before I started doing research for this episode, I had no idea just the level of corruption going on in Nigeria, let alone being corroborated by one person. The notion that he would become president of the country only fills me with the most dread. Then again, who knows if I'll be alive in 2023, if you know what I mean. I think he'll run, but if more things like the Lion of Bordillion come out, then he wouldn't win but if things like that don't happen then i don't know he's got a shot i i think he's gonna run and he's gonna win i trump became president in america it's almost um foretold that he's gonna win yeah that's a good point sean I think he's going to run. I think he would. uh, I don't know. I think the corruption might be too much. But what I'll say is if he does announce that he's running for president, invest in uh, the company that makes Brinks trucks. Just invent like (laughs) just get all the stock you can in every company that makes trucks that transport money, because Mm -hmm. uh, there's Mm going to be a lot of them rolling through Nigeria. It'll be like taxis at the airport, just one after the other (laughs) going to influential people's houses. Uh. Sean's, Sean's looking for his next investment move after um, uh, Palantir. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on our episode of Bola Ahmed Adekunle Tinabu. Uh, this was suggested by a user on Twitter. Please uh, reach out to us and let us know if you have a suggestion for a billionaire. Leave a five-star review and the suggestion, and we'll consider that a lot more than if you just put it on a piece of paper and put it in a mailbox addressed to... Uh, 1000 Pennsylvania. Yeah, and if there's uh, anything we didn't get to that uh, we should know about, please let us know in the comments and uh, always just drop us a message or drop us a comment uh, discussing everything we talked about here. We uh, we appreciate the community and we always uh, learn a lot doing these episodes and learning about people like Bola Tinubu. And with that, 
This has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I just want to say to the uh, cheap-ass, freeloading, uh, freeside listeners, Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. Uh, we'll, we'll have uh, more episodes on the Patreon. But in all seriousness, thank you for listening to this, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful holiday. And I appreciate all your support, and, uh, and I appreciate how, how much fun this podcast has been to get through this year, this very tough year um, for everybody. Um, and, uh, I think the support of the listeners has uh, been a big help for me in doing that. So thank you, uh, wherever you are. And I hope you're having a wonderful holiday. Sean, why are you hard? <laughs> I'm Steve Jeffries. Uh, just want to echo that. Thanks for all your support, uh, on SoundCloud, on Patreon and help us, helping us get through this stuff here. Um, I'm Mandy Palmer. Have, have a nice holidays. Good night. <laughs> all right. Of your quarters. Good night and good <laughs> luck.